Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. So the title of my message, if you are taking notes, is Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Turn to your neighbor and say, can you feel the, no, you don't have to do that. If you have your Bible with me, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I'll let you get there. So a little context about this, this book, this book of Timothy. It's the Apostle Paul, and basically he's talking to his student in the faith. He's talking to his son in the faith who's growing churches and leading churches and ministering at a very young age. But Paul breaks it down to him and says in verse 5, Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. I love the message version. It says the whole point of what we're urging is simply love and love uncontaminated. Now don't get me wrong. I love Matthew, Mark. I love the Gospels. I love Jesus. I love the parables. But honestly, I'm not that smart. You know, I like how Paul gets straight to the point right here. Here's no beating around the bush. I don't need to call T.O. up and ask him what he means right here. But he says, he gets straight to the point and reminds Timothy what this whole thing is about. He said he could have said anything here. You know, he could have said it could have been. It's about, Timothy, it's about just being as holy as you can. It's about never sinning, right? He could have said so many different things. He could have said, you know, it's about just seeing how many churches you can build and how many people you can get in that church. He could have said it's all about just having the perfect theology. And all those things are great. But Paul said it's all about love. Paul knew that all those other things are great and amazing. And that is what God calls us to do. But none of those things could be sustained without love. And as a church this year, man, we've kicked off this year so strong, right? We've had 21 days of prayer and fasting. You know, we've had Vision Sunday. I love it. Perhaps the Lord, whatever it takes. You know, hopefully whatever it is, God's doing something in your life. Hopefully you've set some spiritual goals, some things in God that you want to grow in. I know personally I have. But the truth is that whether I read the entire Bible this year from cover to cover twice, whether I have the biggest men's night I've ever had in the history of the church, no matter what it is that I do, none of it matters unless I've, I've grown in loving my wife better. You know, I miss the point if I haven't grown in how to love my neighbor more or love those that God has set in my path. You know, if I don't grow in those things, I'm doing it wrong. I'm here to remind us tonight what this whole thing is about. It's about love. I'm a person who needs reminders from time to time. And my wife said, amen. You know, I am all about the sticky notes. I've got an Asana to-do list. I've got, I've got things written on my hands all the time. Some of the departments here make fun of me because I'm reading things off of my hands. I need reminders. I forget. I got them in my phone. If I don't have it somewhere, I'm going to forget. And God knows this. You know, I was thinking about the story the other day that, you know, when I first stepped into this position here at Healing Place as the men's pastor, You know, it was such an honor. I was fired up. You know, this is my shot. God, whatever it takes, I am going to do it. And I began to feel God stirring me in my heart. He began to stir me to wake up an extra hour earlier. And I'm like, God, that's nothing. I got that. Five o'clock ain't nothing. 
I got you, whatever it takes, you know. But how many of you know when that five o'clock alarm came on the next day? Snooze. The next day that five o'clock alarm came across. Snooze. But then I began to hear Moses whining on the side of my bed. God knows I need reminders. Moses began to whine and eventually, you know, I got up and locked him out of the room. That next day came, five o'clock came around, snooze. Brother Will's judging me right now. Don't judge me. (laughs) And then Moses began to cry again. And this time, you know, I kind of shushed him and I shooed him away. But then all of a sudden the TV came on. And I'm like, what? And you know, it lights up the whole room. Don't y'all hate that? It lights up the whole room. Now I got no choice better than get up. And then the next day, same thing happens. TV comes on, I'm like, what is going on? So then the next day, I get a little smarter, and I hide the remotes. I wake up, the next morning my alarm goes off, I snooze it, and all I hear on the side of my bed is shuffling. And I look over on the side of my bed, and my dog, a pug, is sitting here shuffling around trying to find the TV remote because he's figured out if he can turn the TV on, I'm going to get up, let him out, and get him some treats. How many know God will bring us a reminder sometimes? And I've simply come here tonight to remind you what this whole thing is about. This whole thing is that you are dearly, radically, crazily, recklessly loved by a God. A God who runs the whole world, who holds it in his hands. And out of this love, we're simply supposed to love others. You see, God has written his love everywhere that we look. You know, our biggest two seasons here, right, are what? Easter and Christmas. Our seasons are, they're designed by his love. They're broken up by his love. Time itself is a declaration of God's love. You know, in Romans, he says there's no excuse. His love is everywhere. Time itself, we're in 2019 AD, right? 2019 years since love hung on a cross for us. Time itself is a declaration of his love. And see, as Christians, before we're known for our political beliefs, before we're known for how smart we are, how many Bible verses we know and we can post on Facebook, before we're known for anything else, We should be known for our love. Jesus himself said, people will know that you are my followers by your love for each other. By your love for each other. The first question I want to ask you guys tonight is what is it that you're most known for? With those that you see on a daily basis, those closest to you, what would they say you're most known for? Would they say is that you're a follower of Jesus? And if so, would it be because you told them so or because of the way that you love? See, we all know the saying, right? Hurt people do what? So the opposite should be true, right? Love people should love people. And you might be in here today and you say, Chris, you're up here just talking about how we're all just supposed to be love everywhere. Love is all you need. Rainbows, butterflies, unicorns, love here, love there, love everywhere. But you say, Chris, that's not the world I'm living in. That's not the life that I had. It's just not that easy. And I would completely agree with you. That's why I'm happy Paul goes on to give us a recipe for this love. You see, we can't give what we don't have, right? Right? 
In order to give love properly the way that we're created to, we must first learn how to be loved properly. In order to love properly, we must first know how to be loved properly. We got any gumbo cooks in here tonight? Cook a little gumbo. How many of y'all been wanting some gumbo with this random weather we've been having? So gumbo isn't gumbo, right, without the big three, right, without the Cajun trinity. Let me know a little bit of something about the Cajun trinity. We are in Baton Rouge, right? Some of y'all looking at me crazy. The Cajun trinity are what? Bell peppers, onions, and celery. Well, tonight what we're talking about is the Cajun trinity of receiving God's love. See, this here that Paul's talking about is the Cajun trinity. It's the onions, the bell peppers, and the celery of receiving God's love. He goes on to 1 Timothy 1.5 to say he love that flows out of a pure heart. My first point for you guys tonight, if you are taking notes, is pure heart. And see, the heart that he's talking about here isn't the heart that's inside of your chest. It's not the heart that the doctor told you to quit eating bacon because of. Because nobody wants to talk about that. But it's the heart that we talk about when we say things like, bless their hearts. Or let's have a heart to heart. Or with all my heart. Or he's got a heart of gold. Or let me share from my heart. Or when we say things as a child like cross my heart. Which we were always lying when we said that anyway, right? So my next question to you tonight is how is your heart? How is your heart? See, we don't hear that question too often. We don't hear that question too often because we live in a society and a culture that's obsessed with behaviors. We're awarded for behaviors, not for our heart. People talk about our behaviors, whether it's good or negative, not for our hearts. Unless you are single in the house of God and somebody's trying to hook you up with somebody and they start out with, they have a great heart. P.S. That means that they're not the best good looking person there is around. <laughs> but honestly, right, we never hear people address each other's hearts. You know, we never pass a test in school because of our heart. We never get a raise at our job because of our hearts. And even as Christians, we easily begin to get stuck focusing on our behaviors. We often first try to change our behaviors, right? We add a couple rules here. Watch what we say there. But how often does that usually last? It usually doesn't last too long because our real problem lies so much deeper. Our real problem lies in our heart. See, Paul understood the importance of the heart. Jesus understood the importance of the heart. See, in Luke 6.43, Jesus said, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from a thorn bush, and grapes aren't picked from a bramble bush. I don't even know what a bramble bush is. A good man produces evil out of the good, a good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom. For his mouth speaks out of the overflow of his heart. See, I'm here to let us know tonight, church, that it won't do us any good to guard our behaviors any more closely. Our words and our deeds are simply just a gauge of what's going on inside of our heart. I remember when I first started HP College, which there is, I believe, a 40% connection rate. If you go to HP College, you might end up with a wife. 
I did just make that statistic up, but it has happened a lot. I got me one, amen. But I remember when I first started HP College and Pastor Terry was actually our dean. He was over the school. You know, he was the head man in charge. He was the headmaster. He was all of it. So I remember going to this, our first orientation, our, uh, we had an orientation and we were sitting there playing cards with some kids. And, you know, we're kind of getting to know each other, getting to know him. And all of a sudden, this kid lets this very choice word slip right here in front of Terry. I'm like, okay. And the kid said, hey, before we get started, I just want to let you know that, you know, I kind of do have, I kind of have a dirty mouth. I kind of have a problem with cussing. So I just kind of want to let y'all know I might let it slip every now and then. And I remember Pastor Terry, the loving dean that he is, looked at that boy. And he said, no, buddy. You don't have a dirty mouth. You have a dirty heart. <laughs> he said it in the most loving way possible. I'm telling you, he's told me things like that and it set me straight real quick. The word says God disciplines those he loves. No, but he really was the greatest dean I've ever had in my life. I'm trying to clean it up here, Terry, I'm sorry. I love you. But see, honestly, it really is, we, don't, we think and we laugh, but it's true. The word says that the words out of our mouth are just the overflow of our heart. See, our hearts are just storerooms. They're just storerooms created to be filled with the love of God. But see, as kids, nobody tells us that we're in charge of what gets stored there. Nobody tells us that we get to choose what gets stored in our hearts. And see, the enemy begins to take advantage of that. He also understands the importance of the storeroom of your heart. And he does whatever he can to fill it with pain, to fill it with lies, and to fill it with rejection, to take up space, to keep you from preventing, to prevent you from receiving the love that God has for you. I remember very vividly as a child. I mean, when I think about it, I remember it's like it was yesterday, the feeling of rejection. You know, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood and I, people didn't know what I was. <laughs> I didn't look like them. I went to a predominantly white school. I'm just keeping it real. And people didn't know what I was. <laughs> the truth is, I didn't know what I was. The truth is, I still don't know what I am. So if somebody in here wants to hook a brother up with Ancestry.com, holler at your boy. But I remember so vividly the feeling of rejection growing up. You know, I don't really look like them, but I don't really look like them either. You know, I didn't really have a father to tell me who I was growing up. And it just left me feeling lost. I didn't know where I fit in. I didn't know where I belonged. And the truth is, man, my mom did an amazing job raising me. I mean, she was mom. She was dad. She did everything. She made ends meet. She was amazing. But this pain that was left in the storeroom of my heart drove me out to places I've never thought I'd go. My mom raised me in the truth, but it brought me to places that I never imagined I'd be. The feelings of rejection, you don't belong. The lies of you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes. Even if they were never necessarily said, they were felt. And we all have pain, but no matter how hard we try to behave, this pain will always speak. And we all have stories like this, whatever it may be for you personally. You know, it may have been an absent parent. 
It may have been an abusive parent. It may have been an event that happened where somebody took something from you, whether it been your innocence or your control, and it's left lies. It's left pain deep down in your heart. And no matter where you go, no matter what you try to change, that pain still drives you to places you never want to go. We catch ourselves losing our temper at our kids or our spouses. Or we catch ourselves developing hidden habits that we don't want anyone to know about. Or we catch ourselves just running when it comes down to intimacy or commitment. Or when things get hard in life, we kind of take a detour and try to take the easy route out. And we say, where'd that come from? That's not who I want to be. That's not who I am. But it's that pain that's in your heart. It's that pain, it's that anger, those lies stored deep down in your heart speaking. See, in order to receive all that God has for us, we've got to clean out the storerooms of our heart. In order to receive the love of God, we've got to remove the lies of the people of our past. And we do this through letting go of those who've wronged us. We do this through realizing they were wrong and grabbing hold onto the truth of God. In Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I let go of what is behind and I grab hold on to what is ahead. You can clap your hands for that. You know, I heard a great pastor say one time, he was telling the story of his first time going ice skating. You know, we live in Louisiana, we don't ice skate much, right? He was saying, you know, he was going ice skating, he was with some people, so you know, you don't want to fall in front of anybody. He's saying, you know, he got out there on the skates and he said he was doing pretty good. He was actually kind of impressed with himself. And then he came to the gate where you come in and he realized he'd been holding on to the rail the whole time. But how many know he came to a place where he had to decide whether or not he was going to let go of what was behind him to grab on to what was ahead of him? Because the truth is tonight that you can't do both. You know, the truth of God can't live with the lies of your past. So we got to decide tonight, what are we going to do? Are we going to move forward? Are we going to keep holding on to the pain, the hurt, and the lies of our past? Through his forgiveness, we can forgive. No matter what anyone's done to you, what he's done for you is so much bigger. Through his truth, we can move on. The second thing that Paul says, our second point tonight is good conscience. He says, now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience. The second thing that Paul knew could contaminate the love in our life, the love of God, is our conscience. See, if our hearts end up the storeroom of other people's actions, our conscience ends up as a vault of our own. See, God created our brains so complex They say it's the most complex thing in the universe. Actually, scientists say they compare the complexity of your brain to the exact same complexity of the universe. Their understanding of how much they understand how your brain works is the same understanding of how they understand the universe. It says says that there's roughly a guess of 170 billion cells and neurons in your brain that are critical to the function, which is also close to the estimated amount of stars in the entire solar system. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's a lot going on up here, whether you think it or not. During an experiment, they had three different experiments these scientists did, and what they did was they hooked people up and they began to track the way that their brain stores things. And there was three different experiments that took place. 
One was a group of people that they gave $50 to. How many of you say, I want to be a part of that group? So they had a group that they gave $50 to. They had a group that they took $50 from. And then there was a group that they basically orchestrated a dilemma where it seemed like those people lost their $50. And they said that the results were astonishing. They noticed the amount of neurons fired during the negative test far outweighed the positive one. They went on to conclude that memories that are tied to negative events that have happened to you or that you've taken a place in take up substantially more space in your brain and are remembered in substantially more vivid detail. They say that to the point that a memory is replayed in the brain, it also recreates all of the emotions of guilt and shame that are tied to that event. Almost as if the brain being so powerful can put you right back into that moment. And I know y'all are looking at me and you're like, Chris, man, you're some kind of genius. You're a scientist. No, but Google is a preacher's best friend. <laughs> but see, the funny thing is that all these scientists have been tracking our brain for hundreds of years, trying to figure out the same exact thing that Paul knew 1957 years ago through the Holy Spirit. That the guilt and shame of our conscience plays such a huge role in us receiving and giving the love of God. He knew the shame of something that you may have done in your past can cripple you today. At the moments, those memories, that shame, that guilt can be stamped into exactly who you are today. I remember when I began to really grow in the things of God through HP College and some of the environments that we have here at the church. I remember being in moments just like tonight, amazing worship moments where I really felt like God was beginning to do something in my life. He was really beginning to give me some freedom in some areas. The answers to my prayers were really starting to come. And then I remember the enemy would begin to bring to memory the things that I'd taken part in before. The things that I'd been too ashamed, I'd been too scared to ever tell anybody about. Just when I felt like I was about to get free. I know it's been a couple years since the flood, church. But can I remind you that there's nothing good that grows in the dark. You see, all the things that I'd never shared, the things that I've never gotten off my chest, I decided to carry. And those things began to weigh me down in my journey to be who God's called me to be. Nothing good grows in the dark. Mold grows in the dark, right? But see, when those things are brought out to the light, man, I remember when I first actually was to Pastor Terry, I got to share some of the things that I'd taken part in, some of the things that I really carried this guilt and this shame with. And I remember just the freedom. It was like I could breathe again. You see, James 5, 16, it says that if anyone asks for forgiveness, it says that God is faithful to forgive. But he goes on, he doesn't stop there. He says, for those who confess their sins to their brother and pray shall be healed. Man, so many times as a church, we walk around forgiven because of the blood of Christ but yet we never experience the healing that God has for us. He says to confess your sins to your brother and pray. Can I tell you, there's nothing more that the enemy hates for you to go around and tell people all the dirt that he's had on you all these years because it disarms him. It takes all that dirt that he's been going throwing at you for all these years, just when you were about to get your breakthrough, just when you were about to walk in peace, just when you're about to walk in freedom, it takes that dirt he's been throwing at you for years and it throws it at the foot of the cross where there's forgiveness, 
where there's redemption, where there's healing. Second Corinthians 5:17 says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and look, new things are coming. Can I tell you tonight that God wants to do a new thing in you tonight? See, I serve a God who will turn your mess into your message. I turn a God who will turn everything that tested you into your testimony. The things that the enemy tried to use to break you, our God will use to make you. You can make some noise in here if you know the God I'm talking about tonight. It doesn't matter how far you run or what you've done or what you've been a part of. Tonight he says he is doing a new thing. Do you see it tonight, church? I don't know where you are, but he wants to do a new thing in your heart tonight. He wants to do a new thing in your conscience tonight. He wants to give you the freedom that you've been wanting all your life. Which brings us to the third part of Paul's recipe for receiving God's love. He says, now the goal of our instruction is love. That comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Say it with me, sincere faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. If we're going to walk in the fullness of God's love, church, we got to realize that it's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon what you do. It's not dependent upon your goodness, but it's dependent upon his goodness. You see, God's love is not like a man's. It's not like a person's that's topsy-turvy, love you if you have a good day, not sure if you have a bad day. It says that his love is constant, that there's nothing you can do once you're in Christ to make him love you any more or love you any less. He doesn't love you for what you've done. He loves you for who you are, and he calls you son. He calls you daughter. The good news to you tonight is that there's never enough deeds that you could do. There's never enough good days that you can have. You could never earn a spot. You're not good enough. The word says even our best day is compared to filthy rags in the sight of God. But through Christ, through Christ and through faith, we're counted as worthy. We could never earn a spot in heaven. There's never enough things you could do. You know, my wife and I, we purchased a new house a few months back. And, you know, it's a new thing for me. We moved from about 650 square foot to about 1,600 square foot. So we've been on this journey of getting new things and of shopping and decorating and this and that. Some of y'all know where I'm going. There's not enough that you can do. We got curtains. My wife didn't like the curtains. We got new curtains. Now my wife wants curtains to go underneath the curtains. There's never enough that you can do. There's never enough DIY projects. There's never enough home good trips that you could ever do to keep up with the standard of Pinterest. And all the eight men in the house said amen. But the word says that we're saved by faith and our faith in Christ. Paul goes on to say sincere faith. Sincere means genuine. It means from the heart. It means constant. It means repetitive. Just like my apology will be to my wife after this for talking about her curtains. <laughs> but we gotta have sincere faith. A faith that's down in our hearts. 
How do we get this faith to be sincere? How do we get it down in our heart? How do we replace those lies of the enemy with the truth of God? We do it the same way that those other lies got down there. We've got to learn to speak faith over ourselves. We've got to learn to speak the truth of God over ourselves. Romans 10 says, faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Some of you need to hear the word of God spoken over you tonight. Don't wait for somebody else to speak over you the things that God has already spoken over you. Don't wait for other people to speak it. He's given it to you. You know, this thing says it's the sword of the spirit. It's the sword of the spirit. What good is a sword if you don't know how to swing it? And see, he said that he's given us a sword so sharp, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. You know, the sword of the spirit is what separates truth from lies, right? He's given us a sword not to carry in our hand, but a, car- a sword to carry in our hearts. The band can go ahead and come up. We got to learn to swing this sword. We got to learn to give what God has given, to use what God has given. He's paid a price that's too high. You know, Jesus died on a cross, a cross and bled so that these promises can be true to you. Some of you have been waiting your whole life for somebody to tell you that you're special, for somebody to tell you that you belong, that you have a purpose. But I'm telling you tonight to wait no more. Wait no more. He's the one who's created you and he's already said it. He's already spoken it over you. So now it's time for you to take hold of it tonight. Church, will you repeat this after me? The word says, I am chosen by God who called me out of the darkness and into the light. His word says, I am complete in him without blame before Christ. Ephesians 2 says, you are God's workmanship created to do good works that he's prepared for you. Ephesians 1 says that you are holy and without blame through Christ. There's been so many times in my car where I just began to feel berated by the lies of the enemy. My past began to creep back in. You don't fit in. You really think you're going to get on that stage and speak in front of all those people and you've done this? And you've done that. Can I tell you, church, there's something powerful about speaking the word of God outside, out loud over yourself. There's times in my car where I don't know what to do other than to turn to the word of God and begin to speak it out loud at a red light. I know I look crazy, but I'd rather look like, I'd rather look crazy and know know who I am than look like everybody else and be lost. Who we are in Christ has been purchased at too high of a price. God's paid too high of a price for us to continue going on believing that we are anyone and anything other than who he created us to be. You know, Alice and I have just become a new journey, begun a new journey, and it really isn't public knowledge, but I guess it will be after this. You know, we've begun this new journey in the foster care and adoption. We just feel like God's laid it on our heart and there's such a need in our state. So we began to go to these classes. And I remember at the orientation class, the lady began to tell us the life that some of these kids live in the foster care system. You know, they're they're brought into the foster care system. And you know, if they're lucky, they go to a group home and then from the group home, they may go to a home. And then, you know, sometimes they get taken out of that home, placed in another home, then back into a group home. 
But I just began to imagine the anxiety, the fear, the worry that that kid must feel. You know, getting brought to a home, wondering, is this my forever home? I better not mess up because they might send me back. I better not do anything wrong. Just the worry that they must carry. Is this family going to love me? Is this family going to be my forever family? But she began to tell us about whenever that child moves from foster care to adoption. And she said, and it stuck out to me so much, she said, you know, honestly, when that kid is adopted, it says that they take that old birth certificate and it says that it's certifiedly destroyed. And it said that a new birth certificate is written up. A birth certificate that says that that child was born into that family. That that child belongs to that family. No matter what they do, no matter where they go, that family is theirs and they belong to them. You know, as I began to pray about this moment and just thinking about us being saved through sincere faith. You know, God began to stir my heart and he began to say, Chris, there's a church that's full of people who've been purchased at the highest price through the blood of my son. They've been adopted. There's a new birth certificate that's been written with their name. And on the bottom of it, it says it is finished. But they still carry around their old birth certificate. They still carry around their old birth certificate, wondering, am I good enough? Wondering, does God still love me so much even though my day was like that? Coming in the church even tonight saying all these promises really true for me, even though I did what I did this morning. Can I remind you that God's love is not like a man's. It's not like a person's. His love is constant. We don't no longer have to look at our past or our shortcomings or our bad habits. We serve a God who doesn't foster children. He adopts them. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.